All right, as we, uh, before we read uh, the first three verses here in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, it's just kind of a reminder if you're new. Uh, so Peter uh, is the writer of this. Uh, he's the writer of this letter. He's inspired by God through the Holy Spirit to write this letter to these Jesus followers that are scattered throughout all the known world in these churches, and they're wrestling with the very same things that you and I wrestle with. They're, uh, for, for most of them, though, they're brand new to faith. And so they're trying to figure out, one, like, what does it even look like to fully follow Jesus? Um, but then even more so, what does it look like within a cultural context where no one else is following him? What does it look like in my family? What does it look like in my marriage? What does it look like at work? What does it look like in my school? All of these things that, that, that we wrestle with. And so um, as, as they're confronted with this, this, this tough uh, road that they're on, in one sense excited, but in another sense facing opposition, Peter writes this. And, and, and everything we've been reading so far, it is under this overall overarching theme of how do you navigate and walk through suffering and persecution in your life? And I think that that speaks to every single one of us in some way or in some season. And so let's, uh, let's continue on. In chapter four, verses one through three, it says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless uh, idolatries, okay? Um, and so he kicks off this, um, this section here, essentially just, and you just imagine almost like, dear Christians, dear new Jesus followers, Jesus had to suffer. Jesus is who you follow. He's the example. He's the model. And so since Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Now, if you're here and you're like exploring faith, you don't really know what you believe and, and, and all that, you're like, wow, that's a totally different message than I thought I was going to get. I thought they were going to try and manipulate me, convince me to go in with this thing and all of that. Um, I'm going to be honest, this is one of the main things that separates Christianity from other religions. And it also, to me, it helps authenticate a decision for Jesus, doesn't it? Because this is not the message, like, like if, if you're sharing your faith, you don't begin with that. Hey, so Jesus died on the cross, and guess what? You're called to die too. And so, like, and, and, and his life was awful. I mean, it was horrible. Let me read some verses about how bad it was. And then guess what? That's what we're called to do. So let's just right now pray and invite him into your heart, okay? We don't do that, do we? We're like, man, how do we soften the blow, right? In fact, when you invite people to church, you're like, I hope the sermon isn't some of those verses, right? We all pray that. Even when I invite neighbors, I'm looking at what section I'm gonna be in. I'm like, oh, no, because um, it's tough. It's not always easy, and it's not always just like, oh, this is the wonderful medication I was looking for. Like, no, it's really challenging, and he says, no. Like, listen, Jesus followers scattered all throughout the known world. Jesus suffered. You're going to suffer persecution in this culture. And he says, you gotta be prepared for that. Now, what do we need to do to be prepared for that? Well, I love how God's word always helps us with that. It doesn't say, hey, good luck. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. He says, here's what you need to do. And what he does is he gives us this picture of a soldier arming themselves. And what is that soldier arming themselves with? The right mindset. Talks about your mind battle of your mind. You know what's crazy? If I was giving this sermon five years ago, um, people kind of go, oh, okay. But now when you talk about it beginning in your mind, every eye is dialed in from what we know about 
what's going on mentally in our culture, in our world, and the struggles, the challenges, the, the things that people are trying to work through. And he literally says, you have got to start by what? Arming your mind. Arming your mind. See, as, as a lot of us know, when our mind's not right, when our, when our mind is taking us to a dark place, a questionable place, and, and, and all of a sudden I'm entertaining all these thoughts, what happens? My life follows it, doesn't it? And so oftentimes, outlook determines outcome. And we've experienced this a lot of us. And so he says, listen, you've got to start right here. This is, this, like, you want to armor up I know you want to like all these other cool things, you know, but start right there. Start with your mind. And what's our example of our mindset? He says, just as Jesus did. See, I want you to just think for a moment about Jesus's mindset when he walked the earth. Guys, Jesus, you know, as I was almost joking about earlier, Jesus faced opposition, persecution everywhere he went, like everywhere he went. Some people would follow him just so they could persecute you, right? Like, Like when someone is really bothering you, someone's going at you, someone's talking about you, all of that, what do you want to do? Get away. Guys, Jesus didn't have that luxury, did he? Okay, even when he goes and spends this, this time with God, 40 days of fasting and all of this. Now, I know that sounds awful to you, but for him, it was amazing. And then who shows up? Last day, Satan himself. Like, like, like Jesus, everywhere he goes, he deals with it. But what's his mindset? His mindset is absolutely laser focused on the will of the Father for his life right? All throughout. You see him not veering. Um, you see him not uh, entertaining thoughts uh, that even like the enemy is like, listen, uh, you can have everything you want right now. And Jesus is so dialed into the will of the Father. He's like, no, this is not the time. This is not the time. People are literally ready to anoint him as king. Now is not the time. His mindset through the suffering, through the opposition, through the manipulation, was always dialed in to what God had for him. And so just as Jesus was able to focus in with his mind and his heart, so you and I are called to do the very same thing. You can do it. And he says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sinning. Now, what is it meaning here? It's not meaning like, oh, that person will never sin again. Like what, what it's saying here is whoever has suffered for doing right and has still continued obeying God in spite of the suffering, they have made this clear, clean break from sin. In other words, in that moment when they are in that season and they're choosing to continue to follow Jesus, continue to be led by his plan for their life, uh, they are no longer in that moment being led by their sinful desires, right? And when I mean sinful desires, these are the fleshly desires that are in opposition to the will of God. And so when I'm going through that suffering, that struggle, and I continue to choose him first, I am allowing him to direct. It's no longer those other desires. Uh, and then in verse two, we see, so it says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So what is he doing here? Well, he's then contrasting um, the desires of us, the desires of men, it says, with the will of God, right? So, so he's talked about this mindset that we're called to have, and then he actually contrasts, right, the two. The, the, the mindset that, that our world has, that, that people that don't know God or are far from God will have versus the actual will of God. Now, when I think of my will apart from God's will, I, I know what dominates that, okay? What dominates those desires, first of all, is comfort, amen? I want comfort. I want AC, right? I don't want a fan, um, like, I want life to be comfortable. I want to create comfort for myself, for my marriage, for my family. And, and, and so that's a driver, right? If, if God's not leading, 
comfort is a main leader. The other leader in that space is conflict avoidance, to be honest with you, right? Like, like a lot of us, I mean, <laughs> we are so conflict, like we will, we will avoid conflict at all costs in our flesh, right? Oh my gosh, there they are, right? We will choose different aisles in the grocery store to go down, okay? We will literally pull into a parking lot, put it in park, and then put it back in reverse when we see that they're there, okay? We will avoid conflict at all costs, you know, and, 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 and if you're in this room and you're doing that right now and they're in this room, I hope you're convicted, okay? Uh, yeah, like I hope someone gets up, turns around and goes, hey, you know, because we all need that, right? But in our flesh, we're like, oh, no, right? I want conflict avoidance. Now, some of you, I'm gonna be honest, I think some of you, Small percentage of you actually wake up going, man, I need some conflict. And for those of you in that place, I really can't help you. Only God can. So, um, but I have, I felt like experienced people like that. Um, also health, right? My own health, right? If God, it, you know, I'm concerned about me, my health, all those things. I'm concerned about my wealth, my money, making sure I have enough making sure I'm saving, making sure for whatever life I want to give my family, like all those things are the things that consume me, right? If, if God's just not in the picture, that's, that's where my mindset is at. And yet the will of God, when we read scripture, it has a different look and a different focus, doesn't it? And I, and I want to be really clear with this because I, I also feel like sometimes we, we change that narrative to literally like it's the most awful burden you could ever have is the will of God on your life. You guys, and it may feel sometimes like a burden, but the will of God, it is not a burden. You guys, the will of God for you and for your life and for your walk and for your mind and your heart, it comes from the very heart of God. Okay, in fact, in Psalm 33, 11, it says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And so his will for your life, it literally comes from the heart of God and it's an expression of his love for you. Okay, it's an expression of his love. And, 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 and I get it, like, like that's, that's tough sometimes. That, that, that's not easy. In fact, there's, there's times where um, I think about my role as, as a pastor and, and, and I'm reminded that, that, God, this is your calling. This is your will on my life. And you know what? There's times when I go home and I go, this is incredible. This is amazing. But there's other times that I go, is there anything else I could do, God? Like anything like that you could just use me for? I'm totally available, right? And, and, and so we all have these conversations with God when it comes to following him and pursuing him, especially uh, when it's anything that is going to set you up for some opposition. And, 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 and I think we all need to be reminded um, in those moments that, that you guys, the will of God comes from the heart of God. It comes from his love for you. And so even in things he may call me to, that I may say, that's a burden, that's gonna be rough, I don't wanna walk that road, he ultimately knows what is going to bring me the most joy. He knows it. And so I have, if I'm following him, I can receive that and, 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 I can, and, and I can pursue it. I can go with his plans for me confidently because of his love, because of his love. And guys, what's tough is he doesn't always explain what he's doing, does he? And I'm reminded in those moments that we don't live on his explanations. We live on his promises. You guys, we gotta, we gotta stop going, well, I want an explanation first. God, I'll do, I'll do that. I'll take that step of faith. But, but first, I'm gonna need to know what the next couple months look like, maybe a year, maybe a three, if we could just do that. I need to know what you're gonna to do to my bank account. I need to know what you're gonna do with my family. I need to know how you're gonna provide that. I need to know that, that you're gonna give the next step once I get there, God, because I don't know 
what's happening, and we don't live off of his explanations. We live off of who he is, off of his promises. Uh, and this is a lesson, man, that <laughs> honestly, this is a lesson in our home right now with our kids that we're walking through. I mean, we are just at this day and age uh, in our lives, in our home, where it's like, hey, I need you to do that. And what do they say? Why? It happened last night. And I said, hey, I need you to do that. Well, why do you need me to do that? And I, and I, and I like, I was already kind of like maybe a little angry. And then I just said, hey, do you, do you believe I love you? Yes. Do you think I want what's best for you? Yes. So why don't you just do what I say? <laughs> Stop asking why. But that, nah, we're good now. We're good. Conversation, let's pray over dinner, okay? We're good. And we, we do that. Explain. Explain why. Is my life. Explain. Explain. And then I'll follow. He says, no, you hold on to my promises. My commands will not be burdensome. They will be the fulfillment of my plans for you. You follow me. You cling to who I am. And then in verse three, what does he do? He says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And then he goes into this laundry list of things that you go, wow, that went to PG-13 really quick, right? I mean, maybe R. And so you, you look at him bringing up what? Their past. Now, when God is bringing up their past here, when Peter's talking about their past, is he bringing up their past to like, hey, look at you. Look at how unworthy you are. No, he's not doing that. We actually see throughout scripture that at different points in time, it's really helpful for us to be able to look at our past. It's really helpful to look at what we've come out of. It's very helpful to look at what we've been rescued from. It's very helpful to look at the very things that used to drive our life, that used to characterize our life before we surrendered our lives to uh, Jesus. In fact, God urged the nation of Israel throughout their journey to remember what? Remember that you were enslaved in Egypt. Remember in fact, in Deuteronomy 5.15, he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he says. That's incredible. He says, do you understand what you, what you were in? You guys, and what's so crazy is Satan does such a good job at distorting sin that he actually starts to convince us that what we were doing in our past before God was actually okay, and it actually was good in some situations, right? He gets us to actually romanticize some of our pasts, which are awful. And, and, and so the nation of Israel, as they're walking through and God is leading them at different points in time, they literally say, man, didn't we have it better in Egypt? We used to eat better in Egypt. Man, remember what it was like in Egypt? And God is just like, Remember, yeah, remember. Remember what that was like. Remember that bondage. You guys, uh, throughout the New Testament, we see Paul remembering that he used to persecute and put to death Christians. And that was a motivator for him. That wasn't Debbie Downer. That wasn't like, oh, no. He was reminded of the incredible grace of God that met him in that place and brought him out of that and used him. And so at different points in time for us, you guys, it is so helpful to look back on our lives. Uh, Peter says that the time, what, is past for doing what the Gentiles do. The time is past, okay? You had your run, okay? And, 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 and so stop. You've done enough is essentially what he's saying here. You've already participated Move forward. And then, just to help them, he reminds them of the different activities that characterized their lives before they pursued Jesus. 
And a lot of it has to do with sexual sin. We see that all throughout there. With sexual sin, we see idolatry. And a lot of times those two uh, things were together when it comes to worshiping these pagan uh, idols that they would worship. It was absolutely disgusting when you study history, when you study how they worship uh, child sacrifices to prostitution. And I mean, just in stuff that you just go, oh my goodness, this is awful. And, and Peter's like, let's not run from it. Let's just, let's just own it. Let's call it what it is. These are the awful things that characterize what you were about before you started following Jesus. Now, for you and I, we can look at that list and go, whew, well, I had a bad week. I didn't do that. I mean, I had some weird thoughts, but mm, that takes the cake. So I didn't do that. I'm not currently doing that. So way to go. Guys, we, we've got to understand and know this list isn't here for comparison. This isn't a, a hey, you're doing okay because you're not that bad. No, this is, this is for them a reminder, and it's for us a reminder, you guys, that, that, that no matter how much you label or rank the sins in the Bible, you guys, every single one of yours and my, our sins, put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't like, oh, well, that was a really bad one. That's why he went. No, we all did. And, and, and my sins, like when I look at Jesus on the cross, you guys, you cannot disconnect what he did there from you. You can't. Regardless if you go, Steve, I've lived a good life. I've been good. It doesn't matter. It's not good enough. No one's life was good enough. That's the point, is that he went to the cross for that. And so it can be very helpful for us to look back. And then the message is this. When you look back at that, why in the world would you choose to go back to it? Why? Stay away from it. Then he continues in verses four through six. He says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Okay, so he's saying, listen, even though, he, he says, with respect, they are surprised when you do not join them. They're surprised. They're like, what's going on? You are not joining uh, us anymore in the things that you used to. And so they're surprised that, that these people that are now following Jesus, they're surprised they're not participating anymore. You guys, I'm gonna tell you, if you live for him, people that didn't live for him, that, that you used to do all the things that you used to do with, they will be shocked and surprised that you've made a choice to no longer participate in that. They will. And when you share your faith, they're going to look at you funny. They're going to go, what's wrong with you? You drinking the Kool-Aid? They're going to go, oh, what religion is that? Or yeah, well, I'm this, and I believe in God, right? All these things, but they're going to be shocked and surprised that you're actually taking this step with your uh, life. And, and, and so when we, when we think about this, like the, the shock that our friends would, would have, some of you have experienced that. Right, some of you in this room, when you gave your life to Jesus, your friends gave you the hardest of times, right? And, and, and they didn't understand you, they didn't get it, all those uh, things, right? I, I shared with you one time <laughs> a while ago how uh, when I decided to, to follow Jesus and I was sharing it with my workout partner and, uh, and, he, and he was so confused. He was so confused that I was going all in with Jesus, that he literally opened up his wallet and gave me some money. Because he just said, listen, I, I don't really know what to do in response to you following God, but I do know that we're supposed to give to churches, right? So can you just take that and give it, you know? Like, he, he was so confused. And so some of you have had friends that are really confused with you. Some of you are in this room, and you're here checking it out because you're confused at what's going on in your friends or your family member, and you're like, what? What are they about? What's happened? And so you're sitting here like, what's he gonna say that's causing this craziness in my family? You guys, one of the things that I think I, I should encourage us with is 
When you live for Jesus, all throughout history, you see a response from people that is shocking when your life changes in a different direction to the point where they will literally say, you've lost your mind. And guys, this is, it's not like a shocker. It says that in scripture. In fact, in Acts 26, 24, Paul is standing trial and it says, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. You finally learned too much, Paul. You've lost it, right? We see the same accusations against Jesus in Mark uh, 3, 21. Uh, It says, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind, right? So this is actually a common theme. So if someone says, you've lost your mind, you're out of your mind, just go, praise God, praise God, okay? But you guys, when, when we look at how we're to, interact when people will say you've lost your mind or when they actually attack you, right? This is all in the context of suffering, persecution. People are gonna mock you. They're gonna make fun of you for being different, for having a different value system. All of those things you're gonna face. And so uh, it's really tough to know how do I engage with those people? Because I wanna be angry. I wanna be upset. Um, I wanna respond. Um, and, and, And I think that one of the things we have to remind ourselves with is we need to be patient with those people. You need to be patient. And and, and what's hard about that is when you have to be patient with someone whose life you disagree with, whose life you say was completely off and wrong, but you have to remind yourself that your patience has to come from a posture of They don't know who God is. You guys, they don't know who God is. Why do we continually treat people like they know who God is when they don't? Or they should follow him when they don't follow him, right? We are the image bearers of what that truth is called to look like. And so within that is this incredible opportunity, even in the persecution, to respond in a way that's lovingly. And part of what should drive that patience is an understanding that comes from what he says is gonna happen. Guys, they're gonna be judged. They're gonna stand before a perfect and holy God and be judged. Now, either you sit there and go, or you go, oh my goodness. I need to stop fighting them and pray for their salvation. It's gonna happen. It's unavoidable. And there's this attitude, there's this humility, there's this posture when people are against this that I love talked about in 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. It says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Underline, highlight, circle, do what you gotta do with that. Able to teach. And then something that is tough. It says, patiently enduring evil patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with, it says, gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. In other words, what drives my patience? What drives my understanding? What drives me to be able to endure even though I am so sick of them saying that about me? What drives that is the reality that just maybe God is gonna use my response, my life, how I treat them in a way that actually clarifies the gospel to them so that they're actually going to want that. And so that's the reminder. That's the reminder for us. That's the posture we're called to have. And then Peter also reminded his readers of a section here that it kind of can seem a little confusing, but he reminds his readers of the Christians who had actually been martyred for their faith historically. And what he talks about is how they had been falsely judged when they were walking the earth by men and women at that time. But now they're in the presence of God and they're receiving the true judgment. They're they're standing before Christ. They're experiencing all that comes with the presence 
of the Lord. And he says, those that are dead, and, and, and when he says those that are dead, um, he, is, he is talking about people that have followed Jesus that are dead at the time that he is writing this. So let me be really clear. He's not talking about God preaching the gospel to those people who, um, who are dead and they get a do-over. In fact, we see in Scripture, in Hebrews chapter 9, it's appointed once for, for one to die. It's appointed once, and then judgment happens, right? So, so there's not this, like, do-over that we get. Like, like he doesn't show up uh, after we die and go, hey, did you learn? Okay, here's your last chance. Like, no, we have this time on earth, and, and, and he's literally using this example of martyrs from the past, those who have died for their faith, and, 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 and he's literally saying, while in these human bodies, they were judged, we're going to be judged by human standards, you will be judged for the change in your life for all of eternity. And guys, here's what's tough about being judged presently. Not for eternity, but presently when, we, when it comes to being a Jesus follower. Oftentimes, it's really, really tough to reconcile when I am being criticized, when I am being judged by another Christian. That's tough. It's interesting how a lot of times we read this and we're, we're looking for the opposition from outside of the church. It's really, really tough, isn't it, when all of a sudden it's coming from within. And there are so many wounded people, people that want nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with church, just because another person that said, I follow God, I love God, just went after them and attacked them. And so we have to be careful in how we approach each other. And you have to guard your own heart and you cannot let other people derail you from following and honoring Jesus. And guys, what is gonna be one of the greatest challenges with this. It's not only from when it comes from other Christians, but it comes from within. We are in a day and age where we care more about what other people think of us than maybe ever before. Is, isn't that true? I mean, you think about how much of your life is actually driven and dominated by what people think of you. I mean, an easy example is just before, if you're on social media, before you post something, what are the thoughts that drive that post? It's not, oh my gosh, I just want to share with everybody. No, it's like, what? What are they going to think? What are they going to think about me? This helps paint a picture about me. And some of us, we're so consumed with other people's thoughts that once we post something, we're glued to the post. We're glued to the comments. What do they mean? What do they mean? I don't know what they mean. Well, this didn't get the likes that the last post got, What's wrong? And then all of a sudden, some of us are so consumed by that, we actually know who is following us and who unfollows us. We're literally like, honey, Steve unfollowed me. He must want me to leave the church. He unfollowed me. How do you know that? I didn't even know you could find that out for a while who like unfollowed you. But we care so deeply, don't we? And we have to have that function. We care so deeply about what people will uh, think about us when we get up in the morning. It's no longer, I can't wait to just look my best. It's what are they gonna think? What are so-and-so gonna think about what I'm wearing, right? Every decision is held captive, it feels like, based upon what other people are gonna think of me. And so that dominates my day, it dominates uh, my thought life. And so when we think about the lifestyle that God's gonna call us to versus the lifestyle of everything else, what paralyzes a lot of Christians is not so much the calling, it's the reality that, that people aren't gonna like me anymore. Or I'm gonna lose that relationship or this is gonna change and I'm so afraid of what other people may think. Some of us decide not to go all in or to partially go all in with him. 
Guys, one day we're gonna be with the Lord and he is gonna honor and reward us. Keep that at the center of your heart and your life because in verse seven, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Okay, he, he literally, when we look at, he says, the end of all things is at hand. What you see consistently throughout scripture from the time Jesus leaves to today, right now in this gathering, watching online, is this expectation that Christ could return at any moment. Okay, we see through apocalyptic uh, prophecy and prophecy as a whole that he's gonna come back, that he's gonna come back, and we know this. Um, and, and so what are we called to do? Well, we know that, that prophecy is designed uh, to what? Um, it's not designed to get us all caught up in all of these crazy things that we don't even fully uh, know, but it's designed to give us what? A spirit of expectancy. It's called to give us urgency. It's, it's called to deeply impact us today because we know that he could come back at any point in time. And so Christians all throughout history were living in light of that. Some were so crazy, they were selling stuff, right? They were selling stuff. They're like getting rid of their houses and all of that and everything. And, and some of you are like, hey, he's coming back. He's coming back before my lifetime is over. And I'm like, well, have you sold your house yet? Step up? No, I'm kidding. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but in light of that expectation, in light that he is going to return, Peter says what? We are to have a self-controlled and sober mindset. Right? We're to be steady. We're to be, have a clear mindset, free of distractions, free of these tangents, uh, free of all of these other opinions and thoughts. And this could be all kinds, this could be biblically, this could be culturally, all of these things that, that ultimately can distract us. And what's dangerous is sometimes it starts as something good, right? Something good, and then all of a sudden it's a distraction. And, and we're all over the place. And he says, listen, you gotta get your mind sober. You gotta be ready, prepared. Uh, you, one, of the, uh, one of the greatest uh, examples uh, of that when we think of being sober-minded and, and, and just free of the, this confusion that comes into our lives is, I love how it talks about Christ's return in James chapter five. In James chapter five, verses seven and eight, it says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Then he says this, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, I love this because it's this focused posture, right? With patience, knowing he's coming, but, but the analogy is what? A farmer. Now, listen, I, I try not to get up here and pretend I'm something I'm not, but I have talked to farmers before. I've hung out with them. Some of them come here, okay? It's awesome. And I always, because I'm a very curious person, I ask what you do. I ask, what does that look like? And, and, and how do you do it, right? And um, and sometimes I'll visit the farm, which is crazy. But when you talk to them, it is such a focused approach, isn't it? It is like systematic in how they do what they do, when they do it, and it's consistent and it's successful. And there's patience. And, and I look at what we're called to be, and I, and I think of like, uh, you know, highly, um, highly skilled athletes, and I think of, how focused they are on every area of their, of their body, of their, um, of their practice, of whatever it is to make them great. And it is like so laser focused on getting everything they can out of their body to operate at a high level. And I go, man, when it comes to the reality that Christ could come at any point in time, is my mind, is my heart, is it focused? Is it dialed in or is it? distracted. And it's kind of like, you know, the coach, like, hey, hey, are you, are you listening? Are you watching? Are you ready? Or are you off on these tangents? 
Ten times in the pastoral epistles, Paul admonished people to be sober-minded. You guys, it's one of the qualifications for pastors. And in this world that is so susceptible to all this crazy thinking in so many different areas, the church has to be sober-minded. And you guys, I love how he says, this will impact your prayer life. This will. If you're all over the place mentally in all of these other places, if you're distracted from the realities coming back and living with that urgency, you guys, your prayers are gonna make that, they're, they're gonna describe that as well. It's going to impact your communication with God. And that's a scary thought. And so he says, get it dialed in. Get it where it needs to be. And then in verses eight through uh, 11, it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so if we're anticipating the, uh, the arrival, the return of Jesus, and we're in this posture, this place of, of suffering, whatever it may be, we're to get our minds where they need to be. We're to, to get that armored up, essentially. But then he says what? Above all things, we are called to fervently love each other. Okay, now, if, this, if you've been coming consistently, throughout this series, you've heard this message almost weekly, to be honest. And when the Bible repeats itself, pay attention. It's saying, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. This is gonna be tough. This is gonna be tough. And he says, above all, fervently, as Jesus followers, love each other. And guys, critical in times of testing and persecution. We need each other. We need the love from other Jesus followers, the encouragement, the ones that meet us in that place, draw us out of these dark uh, places that we can find ourselves in. And so we're called to earnestly love each other. And then he quotes from Proverbs 10, 12. In Proverbs 10, 12, it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And so what he's talking about is how what characterizes this love is this forgiveness, this covering of sin, right? This imagery that, that we're seeing. Now, when he talks about covering sin, what he's not saying is condoning sin. Okay, so he's not saying like, oh, great, that's totally wrong. And in opposition to who God is, hey, I love you, have fun. I know that's gonna harm you, your relationships, your friends, your family, but I just love you so much. I just want you to experience that. It's not condoning sin, right? Sin, when we see that in other people, it should grieve us. Should grieve us anytime someone's going to hurt themselves or someone else. But when we talk about it in this context, it's essentially this true love, God's kind of love, is able to overlook the minor faults and failures, failures, and even sometimes huge faults and failures in other people. It's able to overlook those things for the sake of the gospel. This is tough, isn't it? I think we oftentimes are characterized in a way that shows love is absent, waiting to catch each other, suspicious of what that person's saying, trying to find an area that we can expose in someone else. And when people see that in the body of Christ, and experience that, guys, it is absolutely awful. And so we, you know, what's the opposite of covering up an offense? It's going like this, isn't it? And I find that oftentimes we're tempted to share and literally highlight other people's moments of failures, their mistakes, and all of that. And we do it sometimes even under the guise of being spiritual, Oh, pray for so-and-so, because, yeah, they did that again. <laughs> I know. But that's not. That's gossip. That's sin. He calls us to cover that, not hide it, 
or pretend it didn't happen, but to be willing to forgive. And I'll just go back to once again, I am so thankful that Jesus went to the cross and covered my sin, aren't you? And it wasn't like he didn't pretend my sin didn't exist, right? It cost him greatly. It hurt. But he's still willing to go to the cross for it and provide forgiveness. And so we should be the best at forgiving, especially each other. And then he goes into how our Christian love should not only be in uh, giving, but it should also be practical. And he talks about hospitality here. We should be generous in our hospitality. In the New Testament, hospitality was a huge thing, especially for Jesus followers when they were persecuted. There weren't these inns all over the place that they could go stay and run out. A lot of them lost money. A lot of them were fleeing uh, and then just needed a safe place. Uh, they needed a place to get help. They needed a place where they could recover uh, from whatever was done to uh, them. And, and, and so this is something that's commanded in Scripture as Jesus followers that we're called to be hospital, hospitable, to have people in our homes, uh, to love people uh, well. In fact, Jesus even tells us in Luke 14 to look for people who can't bless you back and invite them into your home. He's like, listen, stop just thinking about your friends, the ones that, that can bring you benefit. Look for people that can't pay you back and be hospitable to them. And then lastly, we should use our spiritual gifts, it says, in a way to minister to one another for the building up of the body of Christ. You guys, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've received a spiritual gift. And what we're called to be with that gift is stewards. We're stewards of his incredible grace. And you guys, grace is undeserved favor. Every single one of us who have received Jesus are living in light of this undeserved favor. And part of that is you've been given giftings. You've been given these gifts to build up the body of Christ. Uh, people are serving right now and they're utilizing these gifts that God has blessed them with. Some of you are out and about uh, in culture uh, at your job and you're an evangelist and God's gifted you in that way. And so uh, we see that we're called to utilize those giftings that he's given us. He's given us the gifts. He's given us the opportunities to use the gifts. And then lastly, he ultimately is the one who should get the glory for the gifts, right? If someone's gifted, it uses the example of preaching uh, or teaching. And, and, and so if someone has the gift of preaching and teaching, they need to do their best to, to align the message to what God wants for that particular group of people at that particular time. It's more than just delivering the verses, right? Like I could deliver the verses, but man, ultimately I'm, I'm like, God, what, what do you want for Ecclesia today? What do you want? And so, and so ultimately it's gotta be about him. It's gotta be surrendered to him. And then it's gotta be for him. He's gotta get the glory for whatever that gifting is and whether it's uh, speaking, teaching, or he used the example of service. Like, like if, if your gift is serving, acknowledge that you're empowered to serve through him. And then acknowledge that he's the one who has to get the glory for what you're doing, for how you're serving. You have the opportunity to literally praise him through what you do. And, and so that is, at the end of the day, what Peter calls us to, and he ends this whole section by just praising Jesus. And we go, man, that's cool, that you just praise Jesus for all that he's done. And so, guys, as we close our time, a question that I have for us is just, what's, what's your mindset? What's your mindset today? I mean, we, we talk about literally armoring our minds Where's your mind at today when it comes to following him, being obedient to him? Are you being influenced or are you having an influence? How am I stewarding the grace of God in my life? How am I stewarding that? And guys, I want us to remind ourselves again He's coming back. What needs to get right in your life? What needs to get right? And then if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, 
what's holding you back from receiving him? What's holding you back from receiving the greatest gift that's ever been given? The gift of Jesus on the cross for your sins. The gift of eternal life. If you'll choose to place your faith and hope and trust in him, if you'll choose to believe, that's available to you. And you guys, I, man, this was, this was just reminded to me, even last night, last night I had the weirdest FaceTime I think I've ever had. And uh, one of uh, the class that I graduated in was having a reunion, and one of them reached out to my wife that morning, I guess, through social media, and said, hey, none of us know how to get in contact with Steve. That was on purpose. No, I'm kidding. Um, some of them are probably watching this now. And they're like, what's his number? You know, and, uh, and so she lovingly passed along my number to them. Thanks, honey. And, um, and so last night, as I'm preparing this sermon, and, and I'm thinking about this urgency, this sober-mindedness, I'm thinking about my calling. And all of a sudden, my phone FaceTime. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see FaceTime, my assumption is it's a mistake. But I was like, you know what? Let's just give them all the clarity they want, which is my mug, and, uh, and press accept. So I pressed accept, <laughs> and there on the FaceTime is the girl that planned this reunion party. And all of a sudden, she's taking me on FaceTime through this huge party. Yeah, I know. And so I'm just walking, I'm not walking, but I'm like FaceTiming my way through this party. And she's like, look who it is. Look who it is. You guys say something and all this. And, and, and I'm seeing all these people. I haven't seen these people over 20 years. And, and, and I'm seeing them. And, 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 I, and I just, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm just like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And where are you at? And all of this. And I mean, it was the most awkward FaceTime I've ever had in my life. You ever been at a party on FaceTime? Yeah, you haven't. It's just weird. And, and at the end of it, I was like, man, those are the relationships that defined me growing up. Those relationships, it's like it's never going to end. Friends for life, all this. Gone. I was like, I looked at my wife, I said, there's a, there's, man, a really good chance I will not see any of those people again. Guys, over and over in scripture, this life is a breath. It's a vapor. It's a movement of the wind. It's quick. And it's on us to have a sober-minded reality in our minds that Christ could come back at any point in time. And so these opportunities, these moments you have with friends, man, take advantage. These moments you have with your family, take advantage. These moments that you have with your coworkers, even if you say, I'm quitting tomorrow, take advantage of these moments. Incredible opportunities. He is gonna come back. Love them well. Be patient, endure, and guard your mind. Amen? Let's pray.